0: Well, thank you for the meditation. Is that way too loud? I, could go a little louder, please. I think it could go louder. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, Patty. So, um, today we're going to talk about the body and the parts of the body, as I mentioned, um, earlier. And we're going to talk about gratitude. I have a bad feeling there's going to be feedback. Maybe not. Does that sound like feedback starting? all sounds good to you? Okay. It's very strange with mics, you know, and you can hear your voice a moment after. So bear with me. I'm not really used to them. Um, we're going to talk about perspective, gratitude, and the 32 parts of the body. There is a part where there's 32. And in, in this part, in the Satipatthana part, it's actually 31 parts. And in another part, there's 36 parts of the body. So it's not a definitive list. But this list, uh, in this particular one, the one that I'll read out loud, is 31 parts of the body. And um, I don't know which is the part that's missing from the 32. It could be the eyeballs, it could be the brain. These are not in our list, but you'll see. The 31 parts of the body that I'm taking is from the Satipatthana Sutta, which is the sutta that describes uh, mindfulness. Mindfulness of the body, mindfulness of feelings, mindfulness of mental objects, and mindfulness of the Dhammas, which is these lists of things that have to do with basically the essential qualities of what it means to be human. And how to live skillfully. Um, mindfulness of the body is actually a really long part of the sutta, and I'm only going to take this sh- short part—the 31 parts of the body. Um, so, this a lot of the information here comes from from uh, Venerable Analayo Bhikkhu's book *Sathipatana*: The Direct Path to Realization. It's a small book. It's a great book, and I tried to find it in the bookstore, and I think we're sold out. There's another book, though, by Anulayu Bhikkhu that's back there by the baskets. I just brought a few out in case people are interested because he's an amazing scholar and really good at um, expressing, and it's called Satipatthana. Uh, He goes into it in more detail. It's a thicker book, so... The other book, Satipatthana, The Direct Path to Realization, is available in full online uh, in a PDF form, so you can just read it on your computer if you'd like to. Um, And there's one other book back there, too, um, Rick Hansen's book, Buddha's Brain, which talks about the, well, I'll get into it in a moment, you'll hear about it, but he talks about skillful ways to sort of change our orientation toward the world so that we can live more happily. So... Mindfulness. For those of, how many people aren't familiar with um, the Theravada Buddha practice where we get into mindfulness and metta at this center? how many people are new to Spirit Rock altogether? Okay. Um, so this center, mostly, although it's uh, really takes in different teachings from all over. Um, mostly the original focus was Theravada Buddhism, Theravada Buddhism, Um, is uh, the oldest form of Buddhism, uh, according to some, and it's it's in Sri Lanka and and Southeast Asia. And um, many of the teachers here have ordained as monks and nuns in order to um, really, really see what's true. And the reason I love Theravada Buddhism is because uh, I don't consider myself a Buddhist, but these practices are really neat ways to look at the world. So a neat way to sort of drop in and see, what is this human life? What's the experience of this human life? And the Satipatthana Sutta, the Sutta on Mindfulness, invites us to look at our bodies in all these different ways and really sit with it in real time, like what's happening now? You know, while I was uh, giving the meditation, I had post-nasal drip and I thought it was really funny because I really didn't want to swallow because I have the microphone right here, you know, and that's kind of a weird sound. And then later there was an urge to burp. And I was like, well, I really don't want to do, you know, so I turned off the microphone. But it's like, what is this body? This a weird thing we do, you know, this weird thing we have, we share, we walk around with. And so the body is really interesting. The rest of the sutta is brilliant too. It's all about like, what, do, what are feelings and what are thoughts and how do we relate to them? And who's at the center of all this? So uh, I won't go any further into that because otherwise I'll run out of time here. But here are the 31 parts of the body. In its body, there are head hairs, body hairs, nails, teeth, skin, flesh, sinews, bones, bone marrow, kidneys, heart, liver, diaphragm, spleen, lungs, bowel, mesentery, contents of the stomach, feces, bile, phlegm, pus, sweat, fat, tears, grease, spittle, snot, oil of the joints, and urine. (laughs) I really love that Ashley loves this. To me, it's kind of, every time I'm free to talk about this, I'm like, that kind of puts me off, you know. I don't think I really want to think about that. But actually, preparing for this talk has been kind of fun, because it's kind of neat to be like, oh, all that is going on. All that has a function. Everything there has a function to keep me well. Um, so the question is, you know, how do we choose, what do we choose to do with this body in this lifetime? How do we choose to relate to our body? The intention of this part of the sutta is, according to Anālayo Bhikkhu, Uh, Partly mindfulness, right? So just close your eyes for a moment and see if you can be mindful of your skin. You can just go from the top of your head all the way down your body, down to your feet. And just in the skin alone, there's so much happening. So uh, while your eyes are closed, see if you can notice your skeletal structure Again, maybe start from one end to make it sort of easier. At the top of your head, notice your skull and go down, down your spine, down your body, all these bones, all the way down to your feet. And then you can open your eyes. Well, it's interesting, right? Those aren't that hard compared to being aware of your uh, bile. You know, it goes towards the liquids at the end, right? The last ones, feces, bile, phlegm, plus blood, sweat, fat, tears. It's like, then we have, can we be aware of that liquidness in us? And what does that mean? Is that me? I don't really know. No. It, it, it's a strange question to ask. I don't identify with myself as my bile or my phlegm. And yet, here it is, and I consider this body sort of mine. So I find it really interesting. So mindfulness of the body is the first piece. The second piece that the Buddha intended uh, to have this this part of the sutta be about is to reduce your identification with the body. Uh, the identification, the comparison, comparison, the way we either uh, self-denigrate our body and our, our body image, or we have conceit about our body. You know, And it's so interesting as we grow older, right? Because then we get to have all these things start to go wrong with our body, it's very... Uh, humbling, you know. I, um, I work with kids and when we talk about body image and we get in small groups and talk about body image, there's always tears because so much pressure is put on our bodies on how we're supposed to look. And this culture in particular with the way we market really puts pressure on people. And we all, as far as I know, everybody has some sort of body image piece. You know, something about their body doesn't feel right, doesn't feel good, or as they grew up something was wrong, or they expected something different. And uh, that's really hard. There's a lot of suffering around body image. So then again, how do we relate to our body? It's really important. And we can choose how to relate in many ways. How do we want to relate? There's things we can do, we can bring in, that are really skillful. And there are ways in which we can sort of be like, oh, the body's too difficult and ugly and complex and I don't want to go there, and sort of push it to the side. But it's always with us. It's always with us. There's a a really neat uh, list called The Rules for Being Human by uh, Cherry Carter Scott. And the first rule is this. You will receive a body. You may like it or hate it, but it's the only thing you are sure to keep for the rest of your life. It's the only thing you're sure to keep for the rest of your life. It's kind of awesome, isn't it? I just read that and I immediately love that list, The Rules for Being Human. Um, and the third way in which this, uh, this part of the sutta is intended to impact monks and nuns who were studying the satipatthana at the time, it wasn't really for lay people, um, was to make us reduce our compulsion to think about sexual activity. So, you know, sexuality is like a natural part of being human and these monks and nuns are trying to sublimate that in order to move towards liberation. And so that's not an easy thing to do. And there are a lot of stories in the suttas about certain monks that really had a hard time with that and others that um, there's all sorts of things that go on there. So you don't really think about the innards of attractive people. You, know, you see an attractive person and you don't think, you know, uh, what's the condition of his liver? Uh, what's her, her large intestine smell like? You know, we don't think about that. Uh, how many tablespoons of phlegm are in that person? You know, it's just like, this isn't what we do. But we have this way of looking at the outside and that's what we call attractive. And we just kind of ignore the knowledge of all the crazy things going on inside. And it's sort of interesting. So it does make it a little bit less like, oh yeah, that's kind of weird, you know. Why, what is attractiveness? Um, so that's, those are the three ways in which uh, the sutta is intended for the monks and nuns. And I think they're all really useful, useful things to think about, useful things to reflect on. Um but we can really be very creative with the way in which we think about these parts of the body and the way we think about even the sutta, you know. What if I were to say this and this bear with me, this is kind of nervous making for me. What if I were to say this sutta in the cadence of a familiar nursery rhyme? Then how would it sound, right? You ready? <laughs> I haven't done this before. Certainly not in front of a group of people. Uh, in this body there... Wait, wait, wait. This is very Jacques. at the one. Ah. In this body there are head hairs, body hairs, nail teeth, skin flesh, sinews, bones, bone marrow, kidneys, heart, liver, diaphragm, spleen, lungs, bowel, mesentery, contents of the stomach, feces, bile, phlegm, pus, blood, sweat, fat, tears, grease, spale, snot, oil of the joints, and of course urine. <laughs> Thank you. well doesn't that change the whole way in which we hear it it doesn't sound so gloomy you know it's kind of like oh that's kind of funny The body's kind of sweet with all this weirdness so we can really impact the way in which we perceive this body and we which we perceive these teachings and what i would really uh, like to encourage in the rest of this talk is to talk about gratitude and how we can be grateful to this body with all its balls, right? So let's just think about this in terms of gratitude, right? In this body, there are head hairs, body hairs, nails, teeth, skin, flesh, everything here has a purpose and keeps you well. Uh, Sinews, bones, bones, bone marrow, uh, kidneys, uh, heart, liver, diaphragm, spleen, lungs, bowel, mesentery, which sort of, I think, attaches all the intestines. Um, contents of the stomach, feces, bile, phlegm, pus, blood, sweat, fat, tears, grease, spittle, snot, oil of the joints and urine. All that keeps us well. Everything has a function. And every mammal on the planet has that. Like well, it's not just humans, it's not just us. It's kind of wild. We share this. This is something we share with all mammals and a whole lot of other beings too. I think that fish have a whole lot of them and uh, amphibians and uh, reptiles. So it's really neat to think about it from the point of view of of gratitude because that allows us to live on this planet. Uh, So according to the Buddha, uh, here's a quote from the Anguttara Nikaya. There are two persons who are rare in the world. Which two? First, the one who volunteers to help others selflessly. And second, the one who is grateful and helps in return. The one who is grateful and helps in return. So Patty... Oh, and I want to. Can you get her the the handheld mic? Uh, is going to uh, speak a, uh, a a story here for us. She's a good reader, and I've had her do this before. And this is uh, it's a really great story. I hope you like it.
1: This is from Rachel Renee Remen. While we can contribute to the lives of others at a distance. The sort of service that is mutual is usually handmade, something that happens in a deeply personal way between two people. At such times, we may come to know the true value and worth of our lives. The kind of service which changes our lives is rarely accomplished by simply signing a check. The service that transforms us the most has our fingerprints on it. At the age of 45, George had patented a part of a medical invention. For more than two decades since, he was the CEO of a small but successful company that manufactures and distributes these parts worldwide. George was a fine businessman and a shrewd investor, a highly sophisticated man who traveled widely and collected many beautiful things. By most standards, he had led an enviable life. Six months before he came to my office, George had discovered that his co- he had colon cancer. His cancer was widely metastatic at the time that it was found, and his physicians had told him that he did not have long. He told me this during his first visit to my office. My offices are not traditional. Elegantly and tastefully dressed, he seemed unfazed to find himself on a houseboat. The cat loved him immediately, and he held her on his lap as we spoke, unmindful of the potential for damage to his Armani suit. I loved him immediately, too. His diagnosis had shaken George badly. I had expected that he would be depressed about the hopelessness of his situation, but this was not the case. There was a lot, of else, there was a lot else on his mind. Quote, I have wasted my life, Rachel, he told me flatly. I have two ex-wives and five children. I support all of them, but I don't know any of them. I never took the time to know them or anyone else. I have spent my life doing business, building my company from an idea in my basement to what it is today. I do not think they will miss me. I have nothing behind me but a lot of money. He looked away and shook his head. What an old fool, he said, a stupid old fool. The thing that George invented and that his company manufactures is part of a medical device that has enabled people whose chronic disease was previously unmanageable to live almost normally. Another of my patients uses this device. It has changed her life. Before it was available, she had been severely limited by her disease and almost housebound. Controlling her physical symptoms had occupied most of her time. She had been unable to work, unable to have any sort of normal life among people. Soon after she was fitted with this device, she had gotten a job for the first time. There she had met people and begun to have friends. In time, she had met and married a fine man and had a child. The day they gave me this device, I was reborn, she had told me. And so she was. It is a breach of privacy to give one patient's name to another, but I thought that perhaps Stephanie might be willing to write an anonymous note about her experience and I could give it to George. I resolved to ask her if she might be willing to do this. When she discovered I knew the man whose invention had made her device possible, Stephanie was speechless. She sat thinking over my request that she write to him to tell him about the difference his work had made in her life. Shyly, she asked me if I thought he might be willing to come to her home for dinner, so that she could show him the life he had made possible for her. I said that I would ask. George was surprised that I knew a patient who used his invention. He was very touched that she might want to meet him and readily agreed. He offered to take her and her husband to dinner at one of our most elegant and expensive restaurants. I don't think so, I told him. And so an evening was found, and George went to dinner at Stephanie's home. The week after this dinner, he sat in my office, shaking his head in wonder, He had expected to have dinner with this young couple, but when he had arrived, George was welcomed by Jane's whole family. Her mother was there, her three brothers and sisters, several of her aunts and uncles, and a crowd of nieces, nephews, and cousins. Her husband's parents were there too, and many of her friends and neighbors, the whole community of people who had sustained her in her years that she was an invalid. They had decorated the house with crepe paper and everyone had cooked. It was an extraordinary meal and a wonderful celebration. But that was not the important part, Rachel, George told me. They had really come to tell me a story. They had each played a part in it and had a different side of it to share. It took them over three hours to tell it. It was the story of Jane's life. I cried most of the time. At the very end, Jane came to me and said, this is really a story about you, George. We thought you needed to know. And I did, I did. I had tears in my eyes. How many of these things do you make every year, George, I asked him. Close to 10,000, he said softly. I just knew the numbers, Rachel. I had no idea what they meant.
0: Uh, Gratitude. That story is such a beautiful story about how we can be grateful to one another and now um, I can't read that story because it always jokes me up. And even listening to Patty, you're, like trying to keep myself together, it still chokes me up. That happens for me really easily. So uh, thank you so much for reading that. That was great. Patty's one of our volunteers. Carrie's one of our other volunteers. They keep this whole operation going, and we owe you a great debt of gratitude for volunteering here, everybody. Um, yeah, so what does it mean to be grateful? Um, That's a beautiful story of how the body sometimes fails. And, and, you know, we are all um, going to grow old and die. Uh, uh, Hopefully we'll grow old and die. Uh, We'll all die. We can count on that. And it's really important to look at that. And I'll get into that in just a moment. But what does it mean to be grateful to all these parts of the body? And um, here's a passage from Roke. If your daily life seems poor, do not blame it. Tell yourself that you are not poet enough to call forth its riches, for to the Creator there is no poverty and no poor indifferent different place. If your daily life seems poor, do not blame it. Tell yourself you are not poet enough yet to call forth its riches. For the Creator there is no poverty and no poor indifferent different part of the body, you could say. This is all sort of a mystery, all sort of a miracle, and so our question is, how do we relate to the body and how do we relate to the world? And um, with regard to uh, gratitude, it's one of the really positive things that Buddhism really encourages people to bring in. Up here, right there, is the gratitude hut. It's the Katanyuta hut. That's the Pali word for gratitude. And it has all the teachers that have helped the teachers here to grow. And they've all been there for one another. And they've all helped these teachers grow. And all these teachers have put put their, their teachers up there from all around the world. That's really beautiful to go in. You can kind of sense the gratitude there. So, according to Rick Hansen, whose book Buddha's Brain is back there. Oh, and by the way, that book is marvelous. The book from Rachel Naomi Remen. It's called My Grandfather's Blessings. She also has Kitchen Table Wisdom, and they're all vignettes. She's a doctor, and she was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. And at fifteen, she was told she wouldn't live past forty, and now she's in her sixties, and she has. She's a doctor, and she's transformed the way the, 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 uh, the people in the medicine industry perceive human beings and the importance of the mind-body connection. And she has worked with people with chronic diseases and terminal diseases. And Bolinas, she has a center and she's done work all over the country and has created this wonderful way in which now it's more about like, let's pay attention to people's feelings and how important that is for health. As a matter of fact, gratitude is one of the things that brings about a sense of health and the sense it brings about health and well being. There are actually studies that show uh, positive emotions basically reduce stress and a whole lot of other benefits are there. So here's what Rick Hansen says He says that the alarm bell of your brain is the amygdala and it uses about two thirds of its neurons to look for bad news. It's primed to go negative. Once it sounds the alarm, negative events and experiences get quickly stored in memory. And if you have a good experience, it takes a long time to get stored in long-term memory. So good experiences, uh, they're not, they don't get in there that easily, but bad experiences do, and two-thirds of this part of your brain is used for just scanning for negativity. It's called the negativity bias because our ancestors managed to survive all the craziness of the world by scanning for negativity. At this stage in this civilization, we don't have to do that quite so much, but our brains are still primed for that. So in order to overcome that, Rick Hansen and Rick Mendias, in An Inquiring Mind, this article is from that. Rick Mendias is another person who's worked a lot on how we bring in these beneficial aspects of Buddhism into our brain and really bring them there, use these, these practices to bring them there. So to overcome the negative bias, help positive events become positive experiences. Pay extra attention to the good things in the world and in yourself. Deliberately create um, positive experiences for yourself. So help positive events become positive experiences. Then savor them. Sort of let them sink in. You sit with them. If you can sit with them for about 30 seconds, I think 12 seconds is the minimum, but 30 would be a benefit. But 12 seconds, sit with them, and they start to get in. And then it's like, imagine them soaking into your system. So gratitude is one of those things, love and kindness, gratitude, forgiveness, kindness, compassion, all these different things that Buddhism really says, you know, bring these forward because it'll help you feel more connected with everything and less like an isolated being that's sort of a packet of awareness that's sort of here in a fear-based way and everything else is out there. When you have gratitude, you're, you're connecting and this is a central part of all these teachings. So it's a very deliberate piece. And in Buddha's brain, he talks about all these different parts. And I, I really, it's really a, a very, very good book. Um, so he says these three steps take half a minute or less, and they can absolutely transform the way we perceive the world. Instead of spending our time in a negative place, in a fear-based place, in a worried place, in an anxious place, in a planning place, you can deliberately bring loving-kindness in. You can deliberately bring in gratitude. Uh, Pema Chodron talks about bodhicitta, Chitta means mind and heart, and Bodhi means awake, enlightened or completely open. So it's basically the mind and heart that is awake, that is connected, that's alive. And she says, Bodhicitta is equated in part with our ability to love. And I really like this part. I hope you like it too. Bodhicitta is particularly available to us when we feel good heart, when we feel gratitude, appreciation, or love in any form whatsoever, in any form of of tenderness or happiness, Bodhicitta is always there. If we begin to acknowledge these moments and cherish them, if we begin to realize how precious they are, then no matter how fleeting and tiny this good heart may seem, it will gradually at its own speed expand. Our capacity to love is an unstoppable essence that when nurtured can expand without limit. So the obvious question is why don't we nurture this good heart? Why don't we nurture? And of course you all are because you're here. But a lot of people don't, and in a lot of my waking hours, I'm not doing that. You know, So how do I bring this in more? How do I bring in more of a loving heart? How do I bring in more gratitude? So how, what do we choose to do with our body in this lifetime? How do we choose to respond and, and feel about our body? So um, there's an advanced gratitude. And this advanced gratitude is uh, being grateful for life's difficulties. And that's not easy. Um, as I mentioned, uh, Rachel Naomi Remen had a disease that she was given a terrible prognosis for. And she's, you know, it hasn't been easy for her, but she's managed to live a very good life and open her heart and stay very connected and really transform how uh, American, the American medicine establishment uh, actually does things. So we have that capacity to take difficulty and turn it around into something strong. Um, according to Buddhism, the, the divine messengers were the messengers that took him from being a prince in a palace to being an ascetic looking for what's true in this world. And the uh, divine messengers were old age, illness, death. And those are three pretty, <laughs> again, it's kind of like the body, right? These are kind of negative, hard things to deal with. Right? Old age, illness, and death. He got outside the palace and he's like, what is that? Oh, that's an old person. Oh, he hadn't been allowed to see it because his father was protecting him from all that. Um, And then what's that? Oh, that's a person who's very ill. Oh God, it looks really hard. And then he saw a corpse. And then he saw an ascetic that was exploring the nature of reality through deep contemplation. And that was what inspired him to live differently, to search differently, to see. You know, it took him years, but to really, really see if he could drop in and see what's true in this world, in this body as a human being. So that's advanced gratitude, and that's hard, you know. I I have in my body, like, I get resorption in my teeth, so very quickly I can have a giant cavity in a tooth that I didn't, like, neglect. I've been flossing and brushing my teeth, and then it has to be pulled out, and then the tooth is kind of broken on top, and I have to do, like, horrible stuff to pull out my teeth. It's kind of a bummer. So when we go back to that original quote, the only thing you're guaranteed to have for your whole life is your body, well, not all of it, you know. <laughs> I don't have my teeth anymore, but I mean, the vast bulk of it, I guess, you know. But then, you know, there are other things, right? I have pain in my back. I lived vigorously and carelessly when I was young, and now I have the chronic pain, and I kind of live with that. And it's interesting, right? You know, what do you do with that? You know, I can be like, oh, poor me, God, this sucks. Or I can be like, wow. When you think about, like, when you have a tooth pulled, you can be grateful for the other teeth and be like, wow, I still have, like, you know, I don't know, I won't even tell you how many. But, you know, it's nice to have a couple of teeth that are there, right? When they're not hurting, right? It's really great. Or I wake up and I don't have pain in my back. I'm like, oh, this is a good day. And also I can say, what about all the people who have chronic diseases? And, and the thing is, a lot of us in the room have chronic diseases. A lot of people around us have chronic diseases. And that's really hard. And it's really personal. And we, we don't share that. People don't share that. It's sort of a hard thing that we deal with. How do we respond to that? You know, and it helps me when somebody cuts me off on the road to realize I don't know what their story is. I don't know what they're living with. I mean, chronic diseases, is one piece. Also, you know, death of a loved one, all sorts of other things can be going on. Abusive childhood experiences lead to really agro behaviors. So, you know, all these ways in which we don't understand one another, but the body is really important. Can we be grateful for these parts of us that have given us a challenge, right? Rachel Naomi Remen is an inspiration for me. Um, And then there's another type of advanced gratitude, and that is being grateful uh, for this immense mystery that we live in. This is weird, you know. This body is like an arbitrary shape. We're very familiar with it. We look at each other. We recognize that. But this is kind of weird, this whole scene. So Carl Sagan says, you know, if you wish to make an apple pie from scratch, you know Carl Sagan, he wrote Cosmos. If you wish to make an apple pie from scratch, you must first invent the universe. <laughs> and you could say the same thing in the body, right? Every part of you was there at the Big Bang. Our best scientists say that 13.82 billion years ago, there was this explosion. There was nothing. There was no space. Like, just close your eyes for a moment. Can you imagine nothing? Like, no space, no time? That doesn't, I can't grok that at all, you know? But it would have, supposedly there was an explosion and everything evolved. You know. Everything came out of it. And your, everything that's you was there. And everything that's you will continue to be there in 500 years from now, in a different form, in a different energy, in a different uh, shape. So if you wish to make a human being, if you wish to make a Matthew Mori from scratch, you must first <laughs> invent the universe. That's my name. <laughs> Insert your name there. Um, So then, you know, Kalu Rinpoche puts it beautifully, we live in illusion and the appearance of things. There is a reality. We are that reality. When you understand this, you see that you are nothing. And being nothing, you are everything. That is all. There is a reality. We are that reality. So... um, also, if you look at, you know Carlos Castaneda. There's all sorts of stuff around him. But his, according to his books, Don Juan Matus said a really beautiful, pithy thing about life. He said, life is the little detour that we are taking now. It's kind of a beautiful way of looking at life, right? So these bodies are part of this amazing life. Every seven days, all, like your body is made of 3 quarters water, all the 3 quarters water is replaced. Like seven days from now, you will be 3 quarters different. It's, it's really wild. Um, and then we can also be grateful to this beloved earth that we are on, you know, that life on earth has evolved and that we're here, this magic of life on this planet. Um, the earth is like so wonderful. And then we can be grateful to all the life that came before us that allowed us to emerge. The Lakota people talk about Tunkashila, Tunkashila, and it's grandfather. And some people describe grandfather, Tunkashila, as um, all the beings that came before you. And in the Four Directions song, they have um, look towards the west. Your grandfather is looking this way. Pray to him. Pray to him. He's sitting there looking this way. Imagine all the beings. And it goes around all the other directions. And then the one uh, up top. What is it? Uh, I forget the name all of a sudden. Uh, the Great Spirit. Let's just say that. I used to know the good word it yesterday, but I've forgotten today. And then the earth. So you look up and you look down and look in all four directions. But all the ancestors are there looking at you. They're all egging you on. And a hundred years from now, we'll all be part of that crowd. We'll be there and hopefully we'll be encouraging other life, you know. It's a really beautiful image to have. So uh, in the Jataka tales, the Buddha supposedly said, a wise person who is grateful, A, a wise person is grateful and helps in return. And so then as we consider our body, we have to consider how can we be grateful to our body in return? What can we do in return for our body? How do we take care of it? How can we get the exercise and eat well? And what else? I think that the primary way to do that is to love it, right? To say, okay, this is my body. This is with me. And to just love this body just as it is. You know, it's nice to take care of it. It's nice to say, I want to become this or that. I want to get more strong or more flexible or more healthy in this way. But just as it is right now in this moment, just see if you can close your eyes and, and bring love to your own body. Um, so Carl Sagan again says, For small creatures such as we, the vastness is bearable only through love. For small creatures such as we, the vastness is bearable only through love. So gratitude is sort of a love for what is, what's here, and all that has been here that's to support you, to bring you to this place right now. So uh, that's the Dharma talk. Thank you. And uh, now there are going to be announcements, and then we'll dedicate them here. Oh, thank you. If anybody can give this young man here a ride back to Fairfax, that would be a great help. This is Marcus. Uh Can anyone uh, volunteer? Great, thank you. Can you two connect afterwards? Super. So, um, yeah, and dedication of merit. Uh, if you take a moment and just uh, drop in for a second, if you can sit up and close your eyes with a sense of sort of dignity and presence for yourself. I'd like to dedicate the merit to all the bodies in the room right now. May we all live happily and well. May we relate with our bodies with ease and grace. And may we carry that forward into the world.